the hymn uh, talked about enemies. And the last verse says, In your faithfulness and love redeem me from distress. And we're going to talk about distress and uh, enemies this morning. Uh, not all of our favorite subjects, but uh, as we go through the book of Micah and come to chapter 7, that's, that's where we find him. And I'll read the first 10 verses uh, of Micah chapter 7. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul, and thus they weave it all together. The best, best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them is like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like mire in the streets. Well, that's an interesting way to start our day. Woe is me. Uh, woe is a state of deep sorrow. Paul confessed in Romans chapter 9, he said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. It was a spiritual problem. It was a spiritual issue, the same as Micah, with all those people around him and all the expectations that he had and all the results and all the things that happened. And Micah said, woe is me. We can pronounce a, a woe about our own selves. As Micah, as Paul, Paul didn't use the word woe, but he had great sorrow and un. Uh, unceasing anguish. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. He says, My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It didn't get better for Isaiah, because he asked the Lord what his ministry would do, and God said, It's going to shut up ears and shut up eyes and, and make, make the, the heart of this people fat and thick and unbelief. And Isaiah says, How long do I have to have a ministry like this? God says, till things are destroyed. Think of these men. Think of what they had to do. 
They had to go and preach. And the next thing Paul would know is they tied him down and were stoning him. And they, they stoned him so thoroughly the one time they said, he's, he's dead. Jeremiah says, woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention in the whole land. Here comes Jeremiah. All he does is stir up contention and strife because his message is against Israel. His message is about judgment. His message is that, that God is going to come. And, and the, the, the heartfelt woe in these men. But woe is also pronounced on others. It's pronounced on others about 50 times in the prophets. Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, woe to you repeatedly over and over again. There's going to be deep sorrow to you because of the way you are. In chapter 2, verse 1, Micah said, woe to those who scheme iniquity. Revelation 12, 12, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you, etc., etc. Micah's woe is because of the moral and spiritual condition that, that's all around him. He has a heart of love. He has a heart of desire towards people, but all that he sees is contrary to, to those things. His reaction to the spiritual moral climate of unbelief and idolatry, oppression and hypocrisy is woe is me. And I would say to you, brethren, that if you ever started thinking about those things and you said, woe is me, when I think about those things, you would be in good company. If I think about my family and I say, woe is me, if I think about the conditions in the world, I would say, woe is me. If I think about coworkers or this or that, I could say, woe is me, but you, you would be in good company. But woe is me is not the end. The, the study Bible that I use talks about all the norms of society had broken down. Everyone was out to destroy someone else. That, that's the climate. That, that's what the prophets see. You know that we see clearer into the things than, than other people, don't you? Just like a doctor can look at an x-ray, you think, well, that's all that stuff. Oh, that's a little of this and that's a little of this. And you got a lesion on your lung. And you're like, well, I don't know. Because he's trained, they understand it. And, and the Christian heart, the believing heart, can see things that other people cannot. You don't have coworkers and friends and people in your family saying, boy, things are terrible out there. Man is really demonstrating how wicked he is. They don't say that. They don't speak in those terms. We've seen the pictures of rejection in, in, in Micah's message. And then he has a, a, a self-portrait. That maybe that's not a good title. But he says, you want to know what I've become like? I've become like somebody that went out into a vineyard and tried to find a little fruit to eat, and I really can't find anything. Uh, back then, a, a farmer, a, a landowner, they were allowed to glean. And they weren't allowed to go back and do it again. If they missed something, they missed it because it was for sojourners and travelers and people that were poor. So Micah says, that's what, that's me. I'm, I'm trying to go find out what's left. And he says, I really can't find anything. He can't find a whole cluster. And the delicious first ripe fruit, the fig, it's not to be found. We, we have experienced that in our lives. Did, did you ever get a nice, delicious apple? You say, oh, I love apples. I love that crunch. I love the juiciness. 
and you bite and it's the opposite. It's kind of, it's an apple that's seen its better day. It kind of turns out to be like a mushy thing in your mouth. And you say, that's terrible. I'm not eating that apple and what I bit, I'm not even going to swallow, I'm going to spit it out. He says, I can't find it. I was looking to get this delicious ripe fig and there it is, I can't. Barnes says, gleanings are few and poor. It is though Satan pressed the vineyard of the Lord and made the most his prey and few were left to those who glean for Christ. That's, that's Barnes anticipating or understanding what Micah is going to say next. In Isaiah chapter 17, Isaiah says Jacob is going to be brought low. He says, gleanings will be left in it as when the olive tree is beaten. Two or three berries in the top of the highest bow, four or five on the branches of the fruit tree, declares the Lord God of Israel. Uh, those were primitive ways of, uh, uh, primitive ways of uh, harvesting, maybe. You shake a tree and get everything off as you can. But, but, but it's the same picture. Where is the fruit? Well, there's two or three up there. I can see them. There's three or four on that branch, but that's not that's not opulence. That's not that's not a full harvest. I'll never forget an apple vineyard that Jean and I went to when we lived in Massachusetts. Those trees could hardly even hold all the apples that were on them. They cut them a certain way. The branches were a certain way. All the light could get in, the, and they were just literally full, almost bending over. Well, the, the picture here is exactly the opposite. And Isaiah says again, desolation is left in the city. The, dates are the gates are battered into ruins, for thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten, as at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. There's not going to be anything left that's profitable. Mike has become like one looking for fruit when there's no fruit to be enjoyed. No one is living what David Pryor said from last week, uh, the good life, the fruitful life. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. What is good is to live a fruitful life for God. And, and Micah can't find it. And then in verse 2 through 4, the empty search for the godly man. He was an empty searcher for fruit, but that was just a picture. And the real search is more desperate, more discouraging, and more sad. The real search prompts him to say, woe is me. Psalm 12 verse 1 says, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. I can't find anybody serving the Lord. Elisha said, I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life. Two classes of people are gone, here it says. The godly has perished from the earth, and the upright, there's no one in all of mankind. Now, godly and upright are, are very important terms. If you look at the Psalms and you look at Proverbs, you'll see over and over, upright, 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 upright. It's opposed to a person whose way is crooked. It doesn't follow the Lord. The upright person is a sincere person. The upright person can stand before God. You don't have time to go through it. 
the godly, the word godly is used throughout the whole Bible. You might think of verses in the New Testament, Old Testament, godly. It means a person that is concerned about God. It means a person whose characteristics are like God. It means a complete walk with God. He cannot find either of these two people. And then, here's the people that he found in the rest of the verses. They all lie in wait for blood. Each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is to do evil, to do it well. Uh, old hymn says she was, uh, not an old hymn, an old song says she was practiced in the art of deception. Uh, that's the idea. Practice, skillful in evil. I've seen people like that. I've seen people that sincerely could look at you, tell you a lie straight to your face. You would never know it. Their whole plan is to do something else. Princes and judges ask for a bribe. Great men utter the evil desires of their soul. Remember, the leadership is supposed to guide the people. The leadership is supposed to be godly. The leadership is supposed to be upright. If the leadership is not, everything comes all the wickedness, all the ungodliness just comes down. And not only that, but they weave it all together. And Barnes once again says, things are twisted, either to strengthen or to pervert or to intricate them, right? So, so that's the idea. Oh, I'll, I'll present this to you. And I'll present this. Or we'll deceive these people this way or deceive these people that way. We, we, we have a lot of people... That, Nowadays, they talk about all these plots and plans. Oh, it's just a plot. It's a plot. It's a plot. You're right, it is. Because they have to try to weave it together. They have to try to twist it together. And they use whatever means they have. It's difficult to solve or comprehend. All of them try to conceive evil plans and plots, and you can't unravel all of their plots. I used to like detective books that kept you hanging. You had to try to figure out who did it, when, and why. How did this all happen? And the, and the writer would unravel the plot as you, as you uh, went along. And you would say, I would never think of that. How did the guy come up with it first and then write it so that I, I kept turning the pages? I couldn't wait to find out what, what happened. The, the plan unraveled that I was still surprised. Well, that's what they're trying to do. And the result in verse 4 are individually and corporately, and it just it just uh, is uh, described as the best person that he found is a briar, and the most upright person he found is a thornhenge. There's no fruit, and thorns and briars in Scripture are always always negative. Proverbs twenty two five. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. They're not upright. They're crooked. What's there? Uh, Isaiah ten times talks about thorns and briars. The, the, uh, the fruit of the sower, the seeds of the sower that couldn't go, where were some of it sown? It was sown in thorns. The, thorn, the thorns choked it out. It's no good. If you're looking for fruit, thorns and briars are the anti-fruit. It, it doesn't work out, but that's what these people were like. There's no fruit. It says, the day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now, some of the writers talk about that the prophets were the watchmen. 
but I think because of the double your, your watchman and your punishment, that these were the false watchmen. The, the Israelites always had people saying, don't worry what Jeremiah says, don't listen to Hosea, and Amos, tell him to be quiet. They always had people telling him, be quiet. Ezekiel talks a lot about false watchmen. The watchman is supposed to guard and protect. He's supposed to tell the truth about what he sees on the other side of the wall. And they said, don't worry, we're the Israelites. Nothing's going to happen. But your watchman and your punishment have come. We've talked about that before. God says it's come. One day, one of their watchmen, a regular soldier, a regular guy watching the wall said, there's a huge army coming from over there. And here come the Babylonians. That's what they said. And God says, yeah, that's what's come. You, you've been fed lies. But the real thing is, here they come. Eventually, somebody had to call out and say, there's a large army coming towards the city. The result is, their confusion and their perplexity is at hand. And a number of the writers say, you remember what they just tried to do. They weave it all together. I've seen, I saw people at the, the dealership do that with customers. Get the person all like, what? Well, uh, oh yeah, no, no, this is the best thing for you. And the per per person's gone and it's like, oh man, we made a lot of money off that guy. Got the person confused. The wicked wove together all their plans. They concocted all these schemes. And now what happens to them? They're perplexed. They're confounded. Here comes an army. Did you hear what I said? A giant army is coming. Well, that wasn't supposed to happen. We didn't believe that message. In the midst of all this, here is a, a multi-level of social conflicts. You, you can see why he said, woe is me. Worldly people and their sins do not know boundaries, and sin infiltrates and dominates all relationships. Here's escalating mistrust and mistreatment. Don't trust your neighbor, he says first. I can figure that. I, I never liked the looks of the guy anyway. Well, that's not what he's saying. If everybody's so wicked, don't, don't trust them. But then he, he gets a little closer. Don't have any confidence in your friend. Oh, I knew it. I knew he'd backstab me sooner or later. Look what Mike is saying. Would you say, woe is me, even so far? But then it gets closer. He talks about a wife. The, don't, don't open your mouth to the, to the one that lies in your arms, he says. Right? Don't tell her secrets either. Don't talk to her. She's not really a confident. She's against you. That's what he's saying. Imagine that. And then it goes right through the family. The son mistreats the father. He treats him with contempt. The daughter is against the mother and rises up against her. And the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law rise up against each other. We've never seen anything like that, have we? You say, are you kidding? I know families that it's like the Civil War has gone on for 20 years. I know families where the brother hasn't talked to the sister, who doesn't talk to the father, who doesn't talk to aunt so-and-so. 
That's what happens. When you're wicked, it'll break down every part of society. Man's enemies are his closest relationships because godless people produce godless family life. But what do we expect? There's domestic violence. There's high divorce rates. There's sibling alienation. You come up with a, this foster care system and there's a whole part of government structure called the Division of Youth and Family Services. We better get that kid out of that home. He's being abused. We better get that girl out of there. She's being smacked around every day. And that's what happens. And you talk to some of those people that work for there and they just shake their head. They say, I'm fighting a losing battle because, because that's really what happens in our society, in Micah's society. But here's his resolve in all this turmoil. And this should be our resolve. You might say, woe is me for a couple of days in the row, but you better have resolve in your heart also. But as for me, all those people are like briars and thorns. All those people plot evil. All those people are like fruit that there's only two or three that you could see at the top of a tree. All those people plan and plot. They hate their fathers. They hate their mothers. They're doing all this stuff. And Micah says, hold on a second. As for me, I'm going to do something else. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said, I don't care. I'm exhorting you. He's exhorting the whole nation. He says, I don't care what you do. He did probably. But he says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. He has three statements of, of resolve. There's really many more, but right in, this, right in this verse, I will look to Jehovah. I will look to Yahweh. He doesn't say, I'll glance at God from time to time. I'll, I'll pay attention from time to time. He says, no, I'll look. I'll have a fixed gaze on God. Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, and that's what we have to have. We have to have the fear of the Lord to, to go through all this and to understand all this and to process all this. Because our God is a consuming fire. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we cannot let our woe is me be I give up. We cannot let our woe is me say, that's it. I'm not dealing with this mess anymore. Our woe is me has to have the fear of God. Knowing the fear of God, we persuade men. Knowing the fear of God, I say, I'm going to look to Jehovah. My gaze is going to be fixed, not glance, not look over my shoulder. I'm going to look, he says. Undivided attention. I will always look to him for help. The idea is of praying and always turning to God. Then his second resolution comes right there. I will wait for the God of what? My salvation. He's a saved man. He's a converted man. And that's what I'm going to wait for. God acts and fulfills. God acts and fulfills. If we don't see it yet, we have to wait. We have to wait. Psalm 27 and verse 14 uh, exhorts us to do that. Wait for the Lord. Be strong 
and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You say, well, what are you talking about? I just woke up this morning saying, woe is me. But the psalmist says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. I mean, how do you just be strong all of a sudden? Well, that's the exhortation. Be strong. You mean you kind of have to... No, no, no. It's not something where you... <laughs> I'm going to summon up all my strength today. It's not that. I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps. No. You're going to look to the Lord and you're going to wait for the Lord because what? My strength is perfected in weakness. God, I have this... I have this physical affliction. It drives me nuts. I, I suffer for your church. I preach. People throw me out. People stone me. And I have this affliction. Could you just take it away? And God says no. Because my strength is perfected in your weakness. And when you know how weak you are, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. You persuade men. You just go on. The God of my salvation... He's revealed his salvation to me, and I enjoy it, and I live in patient anticipation. Isaiah says, behold, God is our salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. And then he says, my God will hear me. Look, wait, and he knows an answer is coming. He has a history. Remember when we studied Psalm 86, David had a history with God in prayer. He had confidence. In the day of trouble, what do I do? I call. God, I'm poor and needy. I'll call. I'm a righteous man. I try to live with you. I pray. My salvation. My salvation. My salvation. That's what we, that's what we, that's what we rest on. He's the God of my salvation. I'm a saved person. I'm one of his. I'm one of his chosen. I'm one of his adopted, like we prayed. I'm one of those who he cares about, who watches over and takes care of. I'm not out there devising plans. I'm not out there trying to live crooked. I'm not out there trying to live ungodly. We, we have to learn from the strength of this man. We have to learn from the strength of, of people like Paul. My salvation. Okay, but then what in the world comes next? Well, it's just more struggles. Verse 8 through 10. Struggles and vindication. He recognizes that he has enemies. He talks about his enemy in verse 8 and verse 10. My enemy. Right? The boys have their, their toys, right? My turtle. Edison carries the turtle around. My turtle. That's his turtle. And Micah says, my enemy. I know who he is. I know what they say. I know what they do. There he is, right there. He recognizes that he has enemies. If you preach faithfully, you live righteously, you're going to have enemies. We, we looked at it at the men's meeting. Uh, uh, Pink said, if you're not having trouble, maybe you're not being a, a witness, a strong enough witness. You're like, well, I guess I better stir up some trouble. His enemies might think it's time to rejoice. He says, don't rejoice over me yet. He says, don't be too cocky. And then he says, if I fall, I shall rise. If I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Some of the 
commentators say that this was the whole nation. The whole nation was speaking this. And I don't think so because I don't think a, a nation under the conviction of sin would have confidence that I'll rise again. If, if God's going to come and make everything a desolation and destroy everything of the wicked people, I don't think they would have confidence to say, don't worry, I'll, I'm going to rise again. They have no connection to God. They have no connection to his salvation that we just saw. They have no connection in prayer. They are not looking to God. They're looking to their idols. So I think Micah just stands and says this alone. But it does echo a, a, a true word that the church or a believer should say. If I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. What a nice thing. Sometimes you're having a dark day, aren't you? Sometimes you're just having a day where you, you can't get out of it. I can't get out of these thoughts. I can't get out of this feeling. It's like a cloud. But Micah says, if I sit in darkness, sometimes I do, the Lord will be a light to me. We could, we could mention quite a number of verses that talk about God being light. He bears indignation also, he says, because of his sin. If you live close to God, if you try to be godly and live uprightly, you're going you're, you're gonna to get dinged every once in a while. You're going to see your sin more clearly. They talk about young believers, right? The guy was on this, 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 this. He did all those things. He became a Christian. They were all gone. But the next thing is he never realized how proud he was. The next thing is he never realized how covetous he was. The next thing is he didn't realize how lazy he was. But all these other big things, the big things are gone. Trapp says, we should say everyone with David, I know that your judgments are, are right and you have afflicted me justly. Psalm 119.75. Yes, in very faithfulness you have done it that you might be true to my soul. God's got work to do. The fact that, the fact that we're pinched, the fact that we, we see these struggles, that's, that's good. That's God's faithfulness. Hebrews 12. Whom the Lord what he chastens. Loves. You say, well, could we just, can we skip to the other part? It shall be, Trapp says, our wisdom in afflictions to look to God and reflect upon our sins, taking his part against ourselves. When we see sin, we have to say, God, you're right. You're the one that's pointing it out to me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go this deep into my heart. You're the one that's pointing out. He says that's wise to do. As a physician observes which way nature, nature works and helps it. So the physician, the physician says, I'm going to prescribe something this. How do you feel? You say, I'm getting better over the last couple of days. So he observes and says, well, the, this medication is working. We'll give them a little bit more. And that's what God does. We should take his part against ourselves as a physician observes which way nature works and helps it. God brings restoration and executes judgment for Micah. He's confident of that. He restores in times of trouble and sin. David was banished from the kingdom. And you remember old Shimei. He's across there cursing and throwing stones. One guy says, you want me to go and take his head off? Maybe not take his head off. I'll go kill him. And David says, no, he's doing it because of what? Because the Lord, the Lord sent him. The Lord sent him 
to humble me. The Lord sent him because I was the king. I could have ordered this guy, hang him upside down for three days and he would have to do it. But he says, no, this is of the Lord. God will bring out Micah out into the light. Micah will look on his own visitation and then he might be down, but he was restored. Remember Peter, he sinned and was restored. And then his enemy will be visibly shamed. He says, when I'm vindicated, shame is going to cover her. They didn't expect him to rise up. They expected we're going to knock this Christian off his feet and he's not getting up again. This prophet, tell him to shut up. And they didn't expect that he would get up, but here he's up. His, his enemy, visibly ashamed. Uh, they taunted him and they said, where is the Lord your God? And in, in Micah's life, he's saying, my, my life proved to them that they were wrong. And then God vindicated because then Micah said, now I'll see my enemies in the street, in the mire. When the slaughter comes, when the, the uh, Babylonians come and, and take over. I'd like to take the, the rest of our time uh, just to underscore these things. It's just called lessons from the prophet. Uh, Micah teaches and preaches, but he also is an example to us of faith and confidence and the assertions that he makes. It's realistic assessment, isn't it? The conditions that he sees, that's really what was there. The conditions that we could see when we look at our family, look at our friends, look at our job, look at this, look at that, look at the government, think of all the, the, the uh, conspiracies going on. We could say that is really bad out there. That's what people say. It's really bad out there. Well, it is. His assessment was realistic. It was spot on. It was God-inspired. We know that. He begins with, woe is me. He can't find fruit. He can't find a righteous person, a godly person. He can't find him. There's wickedness any, everywhere. There's societal breakdown. He has to deal with enemies. He has to deal with sins. And he's in all these spiritual values. But he comes and he asserts over and over again. And when we looked at verse 7, I said there's three, but there's more like 10. So what does he say? What does he say to us? What does he say that we should emulate? What does he say that we should copy and look at and say, today I learned how I'm supposed to re uh, respond when everything around me makes me feel like saying, woe is me. Well, the first thing that we learned that he did was he said, I will look to Yahweh. I will. It's coming up over and over again. I will wait for the God of my salvation. I'm not going to do anything else. What's our plan B? Well, um, my God will hear me. I shall rise. What confidence. Oh, the, the wicked's going to knock me down. But you know what? I shall rise. You remember, shall is stronger than will. What does he say? If I'm in darkness, what? Yahweh will be a light. I will bear the reproach for my sins. I have sinned, he says. That's true. 
but he will bring me out to the light, will bring me out. I will look upon his vindication. I shall look at it. My enemy will see. God will cover and I'll look at them and they will be trampled down. And that's our, that's our lesson for today. Our lesson for today is learn from the prophet Micah, who started with saying, woe is me, but made 10 or 11 uh, assertions that deep inside he knew God was going to work it all out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can learn from this ancient prophet. We are thankful for many like Peter and Paul, like Jesus himself, who had resolved in the light of great afflictions, persecutions, hatred, and all things. We recognize in the words of Micah also that he could easily have been described the nations in the world and our nation itself. We pray you would uh, have mercy on our nation, Lord. We pray that as she has many false watchmen, when the time of her danger comes, we pray that you would have mercy. Lord, help us to deal day by day with the, the afflictions and the difficulties that each of us has. Help us always to look to you. Help us always to wait for you. Help us always to have the confidence that my God will hear me. And help us always to have the confidence that you are the God of our salvation. Amen.